Yo, hey everyone, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. David McLaughlin. David is a medical doctor with a passion for helping people understand their relationship with alcohol. Personally, I found this conversation fascinating, so let's dive in to this week's episode. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers, and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate, and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Dr. David McLaughlin, welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. It's been such a long time since we first met. I think it was 2018 <laughs> when we worked together backstage at the MTV Music Awards um, as part of a wellbeing collective with Aisha McKenzie. Do you remember? I do. Oh, my gosh. That was... Um... That was so much fun. I actually, and and yeah, one of the best parts was obviously getting to see the, the gig afterwards as well. Um, but yeah, it's such a, like a, an amazing, amazing opportunity. Um, and yeah, really grateful to Aisha for kind of helping pull that all together. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How, yeah, I, I think it's fun, fascinating how different careers, different things you end up doing and the different people that you end up meeting. So yeah, I'm really fortunate. I get to meet so many wonderful people, you being one of them. But as I said, it was a long time ago. So what have you been up to since then? Let's give the listeners a bit of context as to what it is that you do and what you're, what you're passionate about, what your mission is. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess, I mean, at that gig that we did with the MTV crew, um, my, my role back then, I suppose, was as a, a doctor. Um, but I specialise in mental health and well-being, and I've got a particular interest in addiction and substance misuse. So actually, funnily enough, without naming names, I remember actually one of the things that um, I was doing at that gig was speaking to um, different people backstage about actually about their substance use, um, because that was actually one of the common concerns that people had. Um, I had people asking me about kind of the impact of cocaine, cannabis, alcohol, people that were just kind of curious so yeah, since then I've, I mean, I've written some research studies. I've been involved in randomized control trials, looking at new models of delivering alcohol-related care. I've written a, a book chapter um, for an international prescribing guidelines. Um, I became a consultant in the NHS. I worked through the pandemic. Oh my gosh, that was wild. Um, <laughs> working in an NHS psychiatric hospital. And then I, I became the clinical director of a chain of um, independent hospitals. And then now I work one day a week at the Priory Hospital in Roehampton, which is a private psychiatric hospital. And um, I specialise in alcohol addiction there. But I also have a small medical tech startup company. And we are developing an app called Alma, which is to help people quit alcohol. Wow. So you certainly weren't one of those people in lockdown who was Netflix and chill. You have been busy. <laughs> I, Aiden, I wish, I wish I was doing Netflix and chill. I was doing everything but chilling. It was very stressful, super stressful. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can imagine. I, I was working a lot as well and homeschooling. And I think for a lot of people, when I mention yeah. it, I see them shudder. I literally see them shudder at the, at the memory, the flashbacks of, of homeschooling yeah. whilst trying to work full-time jobs. It was really challenging for, for lots of different reasons. But I'm really interested today to talk about specifically alcohol actually and mm-hmm. how much alcohol affects or impacts our overall health and well-being our hormones our sleep our mood our mental and physical health and mm-hmm. What I think typically I see at the moment, especially within the health and well-being uh, sector, is this kind of binary approach to things. We like to say things are exclusively good or they're exclusively bad. And often people talk about being very all or nothing. So they cut things out and they just, it's zero or, or they pendulum all the other way and it's, it's quite extreme. So I think it's really interesting for us to kind of maybe start with alcohol you know if you're not someone who thinks okay i'm not addicted to alcohol i don't i don't have an extreme um habit when it comes to alcohol but i'm also not teetotal maybe i'm somewhere in the middle that's where i think there's a lot of nuance and a lot of um maybe misunderstanding of how much alcohol is is really impacting all of those things so yeah let's maybe start with that when i sit down at the end of the day and drink two glasses Mm -hmm. of wine let's say i'm an relatively active person and I have maybe a you know busy life stressful job what's happening so in the brain neurochemically mm. in my body like what's actually happening the science I suppose when I start to drink alcohol so when you drink alcohol <clears throat> um you, you drink it you swallow it it goes into your your stomach um it gets absorbed into your bloodstream in at the the, the top end of your digestive tract um it will then go into your bloodstream and move up towards your brain and it will cross um, a membrane which is called the blood-brain barrier. And then alcohol binds to a receptor in your brain called the GABA receptor. Um, And the GABA receptor is generally an inhibitory receptor and it has different impacts on different parts of the brain. So in your frontal lobe, Um, So, (laughs) I mean, the name kind of gives it away. It's at the front of your brain. Um, That's the part of your brain that's involved in executive functions. So planning, making decisions, um, but also regulating your emotions and regulating kind of, yeah, regulating kind of higher functions. So alcohol inhibits this. So you tend to find that people, when they've had one or two drinks, they might be a little bit more disinhibited and kind of act a bit more freely or talk a bit more freely um their planning isn't as good but I, I think I mentioned just a second ago that it also this part of your brain regulates your emotions so one of the things that you find when people drink is that they are more likely to experience emotional lability so they might be a bit more tearful a bit more jovial um, and laugh more and for some people this inhibition of the frontal lobe is a really pleasurable experience but for a lot of people it can also be a really negative experience um and make you kind of more tearful and, and do kind of silly things that you regret. But it, it, it varies from person to person. I think that's the thing that's really important. And I, I, I like kind of this, this topic actually about not thinking about things as binary all or nothing and recognizing that we're all unique. And the important thing is just to be mindful about how we as individuals use alcohol. Yeah, and actually, I want to touch back on what you said about the frontal lobe and specifically what that part of the brain controls, because we all know, we've all heard, I'm sure, people saying after a stressful day, 
it helps me to relax. You know, people will say, oh, it helps me to relax to just have a beer or have a glass of wine. And so I, I've heard this before, but I'm not sure if this is correct. So I'd like for you to tell us is, is it, am I right in thinking that the part of the brain, the frontal lobe is mm-hmm. responsible for future thinking? So, so yeah, planning. Um, and, and often when people are stressed or worried, they might be stressed or worried about things that are to come in the future, i.e. next week at work or next month or ne- or tomorrow. Whereas if that part of the brain, when you're drinking alcohol is, I guess, less receptive or, or, or switches off a little bit, it, that's people feel that's, is that why they feel relaxed? Because they're no longer thinking about tomorrow or next week or the meeting or the email, but they're actually just able to, that part of the brain is a little bit quieter. Yeah, I love it because, I mean, so we talked about the GABA receptor, right? So that's kind of like the <clears throat> kind of like molecular receptor level. But you're totally right. So actually the frontal lobe does, is, is involved in like executive planning, thinking about the future. And a lot of our anxious thoughts, um, they are focused in the in the future. It's by anticipating bad things which might ha- happen. Mm. Um, so when you, when you downregulate that part of your brain, I guess you are thinking less about the future and less about the bad things that will happen. The only thing actually that you see that's really interesting with people when they use alcohol is you get a rebound excitation. Um, so after the alcohol has unbound itself from the GABA receptor, the next day you get this increase in anxiety. So have you ever heard of people people talking about anxiety? Like not the day specific, after? Not specifically that word, but yes, I've heard people saying, actually, I've stopped drinking alcohol because, yeah, I feel really anxious all the time. And when I drink, when I cut alcohol, I feel less anxious. I've, I've definitely heard people say that. Yeah, it's funny because it's, it's a bit like a quick fix because a lot of people, um, like in my clinics, almost everybody I see in, in my clinic um, who has a problem with alcohol, they've got like an underlying anxiety issue or depression. And a lot of time people are drinking to try and self-medicate. Um, and it does, the, the, the issue is, right, it actually does work in the short term because it can relieve like those symptoms of, of anxiety. But then you get this rebound excitation of the, those same parts of the brain that have been downregulated from the alcohol. And then your body starts to become used to it. And so it gets, it becomes more and more accustomed to having the alcohol there to make it feel normal. So then when you take away the alcohol, that, that's when people kind of get this rebound increase in the anxiety. It's kind of a false economy, actually, because it's, yeah, it's a quick fix, but long term, it, it actually increases people's anxiety, um, which is tough. Mm, yeah. And so we mentioned this binary all or nothing. So if someone's listening to this and thinking, OK, well, that doesn't sound good. You know, I don't want to increase my anxiety. I don't want to become, I suppose, like more tolerant to alcohol, but they also don't just want to cut it out. So there's also, you know, there's an emotional and social positive benefit potentially to relaxing, enjoying yourself, drinking alcohol in at home or with friends. So, yeah, how do we start to, I suppose, regulate that or is there something we can do to combat that you know if we don't want to cut out alcohol altogether totally so i i think it's actually really frightening for a lot of people the idea of quitting drinking and stopping altogether and that's that seems like such a big commitment um we we were talking earlier right and i was i was saying that i i describe myself as sober curious so um it's it's a bit like a flexitarian um i I find it too frightening, the idea of giving up alcohol forever, but I'm definitely curious about it because I think my life could possibly be much richer and I could enjoy my life more without alcohol. But I think what's key, and this is what, again, what I say to all my my patients is that I just ask people, 
just be mindful. Think about like why why are you using alcohol? How do you feel before and after? Are you using alcohol because actually you really love the taste of wine and actually it just helps enhance the positive feelings that you're having at the time and it facilitates social bond? Or are, are you one of the people who's drinking alcohol because you're trying to numb emotional pain or because you're actually, you've got some underlying stress or some underlying um, like you know insomnia? Are you self-medicating? And if that's the case, what I would ask those people to do is be mindful of why they're drinking. And then if there's an underlying kind of issue, then you've got to, you've got to address the underlying issue. Um, uh, and some people, one of the, one of the, one of the criteria of alcohol dependence or alcohol addiction is a loss of control. So there are some people, a lot of people, including myself at times where they can't stop at one beer or they can't stop at one glass of wine. They end up drinking mm. the whole bottle or, you know, and spending more money than they plan to spend or yeah. making decisions. So, so just be mindful of how, what, what is your relationship with alcohol like? Mm. Yeah. And I guess it could be, as we said, it's nuanced. It could be a combination of two or three so sometimes for example i know friends who they probably like to drink when they go out because it is that social emotional fun vibes let's have a drink but then they also sometimes will say when they're super stressed out at home they will drink alone or with a partner and they're just like you know what i'm i'm drinking because i'm stressed so sometimes they're drinking because it's fun sometimes they're drinking because of stress and i suppose it can change it's not always um not always the same reason but i suppose mm. as you said being mindful about and i guess just being honest and interrogating it just a little bit you know we don't have to overthink yeah. everything but interrogating and saying actually yeah is this going to make me feel better right now or is this going to make me feel better tomorrow next week I, I often talk to people about this idea of self-compassion for your future self and mm. thinking that self-compassion sometimes is is you know just have what you want or just you know just have the glass of wine or just um you know indulge in something because it's self-compassion if you you know you're you're stressed or you're tired but actually self-compassion for your future self might be saying yeah I don't want to wake up tomorrow with a foggy head or I don't want to as you said you know spend more money than I can afford because later on that's actually going to stress you out even more so it's like making the decision is hard to to do but thinking about the future consequences and maybe even the unintended consequences as well yeah um do you know what i, I love that whole um idea of self-compassion and treating yourself the way that you deserve to be treated um because actually sometimes people it's not just alcohol you know it's even like junk food or other things that people actually almost use food and, al- and drinks to to punish themselves sometimes and um, and actually, I guess that's one of the things, yeah, just to take a step back and ask yourself, like, is what I'm doing, is it a little treat, which in the long term actually is not going to do me any harm? Is it a little treat, kind of, am I rewarding myself? Or is this actually like a binge where I'm going to be actually punishing myself in the long term? And is, what, is my behaviour with this food or drink, is it actually, is it kind to me? To me? Mm. Yeah. And a question that I know a lot of people might have in their minds, a friend of mine has been encouraging her partner to reduce his alcohol consumption. I think during the pandemic, she she said that she just noticed they're drinking more and more and more. And so she said, right, okay, let's reduce how much we're drinking and we're, we're going to make some kind of house rules and, you know, not be super strict. But she said, Let, we're only going to drink at weekends and then mm-hmm. Monday to Friday, we're not going to drink alcohol. So initially they both agreed and she said, oh, this is, this is going to be great. But what she's found in the last few months and she told me is that 
that he's kind of replacing the alcohol with something else, whether that's uh, maybe having chocolate or desserts when he didn't used to have desserts, or maybe he's having mm. uh, a big, I don't know, if they're out, for example, at dinner, ordering orange and lemonade or having like a fizzy drink that's actually very high in sugar like maybe having two coca-colas or something so what she's kind of finding now is she's trying to weigh up okay well actually if you've taken away two glasses of wine but you've replaced it with a chocolate dessert and two two drinks of coca-cola the sugar content is higher it's probably not very good for your you know it's all the things that we're talking about you know hormonal sleep mood these things are still impacted so in a way she's saying he's taken it away but she doesn't want to criticize him because he's like doing his best to go oh i'm brilliant you know i haven't drunk for five days but then she's saying oh no but he's actually replacing it with something that is it arguably just as bad how do we how do we measure these things Oh god, there's god, there's so much to touch on there. I mean, I love the fact that your your friend was introducing boundaries with alcohol use because a lot of people really struggle. So like having kind of rules for yourself, but when and wh- when and why you're going to use alcohol. So I think that's actually really healthy. Um, you know, some people can you know like can have a glass of wine now and again, and it's it's fine, it's in control. But other people they do really need some kind of boundaries to live by. The other thing that I thought was really interesting you talked about there was um you know replacing alcohol with something else. That's so common by the way. And um, we call that tran- transfer addiction. And what it is is your brain is so used to um kind of all the the neurotransmitters that alcohol releases that it starts to look for that kind of boost other places and look for that dopamine release um so by having like sugary drinks or chocolate and again i could talk to you all day about sugar and your gut microbiome and gut inflammation and um actually sugar is really bad for your mood and mental health as well um that's why things like the mediterranean diet are so you know that's that all the evidence in the literature says that um the mediterranean diet which is actually high in fats and and, um and good cholesterols but low in sugar is the diet which will promote longevity the, the most and also promote the best mood. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's interesting. The only thing I would say, though, is um, that craving for sugar, it actually it does. It does go away. It gets it. It, it resolves. It does get better. You just got to work through it. And maybe maybe your friend could try something like um, soda, fizzy soda water and mm-hmm. um, like fresh lime um or kombucha or something that's actually going to be good for him yeah because i guess that's the point isn't it you habitually i suppose we all have habits we all have as you said like we want to replace it with something that feels good and that feels nice you don't want to feel like you're depriving yourself of something every day you know i always say to people live while you're alive you know our life is short let's enjoy it but actually i think yeah not replacing it with something that's yeah super high in sugar and then and then you kind of feel like you're it's 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 a lose-lose sadly yeah, but I mean, this is actually it. So it's it's not about punishing yourself um, when you, if you were to decide to give up alcohol. Um, so this is what I, I love about this whole sober community. And this is why I, I would say I'm sober curious because it's almost like rewarding yourself by allowing yourself to do more things which alcohol would stop you from doing or things that a hangover might stop you from doing. Mm-hmm. So the way that I think about it is when I don't drink, I get to remember all of my night out when I don't drink, I get to wake up in the morning feeling fresh and I get to go for a 5k run and I get to kind of think more clearly and I get to wake up in the morning without embarrassed, you know, feeling embarrassed by text messages I've sent when I'm a bit tipsy. <laughs> so it's, it's not, it's sometimes you can reframe it to think about, um, you know, cutting down on alcohol is actually, you're rewarding yourself, you're being compassionate, you're being kind to yourself. If, if it's a problem for you, 
Yeah, of course. And actually a really great practical, like I suppose, tangible thing there as well is I'm someone who I love tangible outcomes. And as a mother mm. of a young son, I'm always thinking about, you know, agreement, like for example, things like screen time will have like, you know, make agreements around, you know, time and, and whatever. So it's making me think of, say for example, if you were going to spend, I don't know, two cocktails, what is that now? Like 25 pounds probably, depending on where you are. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. Or 20 quid. <laughs> so if you were to take that cash and go, okay, I didn't have two cocktails, so take that cash and put it in, put it to one side. And then maybe at the end of a month, you're like, wow, all of that money I've saved on cocktails or on wine or on beers, go and buy something that you really want. You know, go and treat yourself to something else. Maybe yeah. it's like a new pair of trainers or sunglasses or just something that's, I don't know, some books, whatever, but something that you go, actually, I bought this with the money that I would have, drank essentially yeah no so i mean alcohol is so expensive um especially if you're going out to bars and um when i meet people in clinics that's one of the one of the big reasons that people will say to me um increasingly on why they want to reduce their use of alcohol or at least have more sense of control because i mean i'm sure a lot of people can 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 um relate to waking up in the morning and thinking oh my gosh how much did I spend last night? Did I spend, mm. did I really spend that much money like in that bar? Because again, it's, it's about that frontal lobe um, dysregulation and impaired decision-making. So you end up buying rounds of shots for people that you don't really know and you don't really want to buy them rounds of shots and you don't want to go home with them. You don't wake up with them in the morning and, and think like, <laughs> why, did I, why did I do that? So um I don't know. I don't want to be like, I, I mean, obviously, like, I'm an alcohol doctor, right? So I'm, I'm, it's my job is to normally is to kind of, uh, kind of, you know, historically, like, doctors would always tell people, don't drink, it's really bad for you. And I don't want to be that kind of doctor. I want to be the kind of doctor that, um, buys you just shots. Gives, <laughs> buys you shots. Yeah, buys you, buys you shots, but just gives people information and then lets people make their own decisions. And, weigh it up for themselves like is alcohol adding to your life or is it taking away what what purpose is it serving for you um mm. and do you deserve better yeah yeah i love that and you mentioned just before about the mediterranean diet and something mm. that i was looking at in in prep for this conversation with you as you mentioned life longevity is a is a hot topic right now i feel like life longevity sleep and also mm. i'm seeing this debate at the moment between sugar and and fat so i think the the, the life longevity piece is, is a hot topic for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the ranking, the 2022 ranking of life expectancy of different countries in the world, countries such as Spain and Italy are always in the top 10. I think mm -hmm. currently they're maybe number five and six or six and seven, and they're always in the top 10. And I think there's probably a lot of lifestyle factors. A lot of it is to do with living in communities with other people, with other family members, lots of different generations of one, one family will typically live in the same area. There's things to do with the weather and active lifestyles. But we know that typically those cultures do drink alcohol uh, frequently. I have this image in my mind when I'm in Spain or in Italy that, you know, people drink mm -hmm. with every single meal, it seems. It's like there's yeah. wine in the afternoon, there's wine in the evening. So, yeah, when it comes to life longevity, is there a correlation between alcohol consumption and how long we can expect to live? So I think it totally depends on how you're using alcohol, because... I know that there was a lot of research done in the past about, um, I think it's poly polyphenols, um, mm. which is a chemical found in, in red wine, um, which again, you can imagine is probably drunk quite a lot in the Mediterranean. Um, and there was loads of studies, which I think was probably funded by the alcohol industry, 
Um, and and probably that that evidence was probably pushed out there by the alcohol industry, being being the cynic that I am. Um, but it actually showed that it could be it could be good for your heart in small doses. And I think if you if you are kind of drinking very small amounts of alcohol, and I mean when I say very small, I mean like one small glass of wine, you know, every other day, it probably is good for your health. But like you say, in the UK, that's not the way that people drink in the UK. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot more binge drinking in the UK. I mean, I I remember doing a, a kind of like the kind of foreign exchange students from France and Germany at my high school coming over and just being horrified by the the way that us Scottish teenagers were drinking, um, <laughs> because they'd never they'd never seen anything like it, um, because yeah, culturally in the UK we use alcohol just very differently. Mm. Yeah, and actually, if, if an interesting fact for anyone who wants to know where the UK currently ranks, we're 31st on the list when it comes to life Ooh. longevity. Yeah, so we're not in the top 10. We're not even in the top 20. Um, and I think it's, you know, it is interesting to think about the other parts that, you know, you can't just put it in isolation and say, oh, it's because they, you know, don't binge drink. I'm sure, yeah. as I mentioned, other things to do with stress, economy, lifestyle, relationships. There's a totally. lot of things that impact. But I do think that you're right. I don't know. I feel like British people and, and Scottish people drink yeah. and then almost it's like a badge of honor of how much they can drink. It's almost become like, look how much we can drink. And it's become, yeah. I don't, do you know what I mean? It's almost like we're proud that we binge drink. Totally. I mean, but isn't that, isn't that wild though, that, you know, the UK is one of the most privileged um, countries in the world. We've got this amazing national health service. Um, isn't that kind of wild that, we're not even in the top 10, we're not even in the top 20, we're like 31st in terms of global longevity. Like mm. to me, that's really shocking. I think you're totally right. It is, it is because of the lifestyle choices that we make. And oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, Adrian, it's, it's almost like you have seen my kind of early teenage years and youth. I mean, it was like a badge <laughs> of honor, like how much people could drink. And there was, I think, I don't know about girls much, but definitely for boys, there was this kind of like masculinity thing like mm -hmm. if you could drink more you were more of a lad and like one of one of my pet peeves I know that you've got a, you've got a young son as well one of my pet peeves mm -hmm. right is um the alcohol industry penetrating into um the sports market and and having mm -hmm. um big beer brands sponsoring things like the world cup or the rugby world cup and actually aligning themselves with these elite athletes who probably don't even touch alcohol but it's that kind of kind of associating themselves with these kind of people at the pinnacle of their health and people who we kind of hold up as being hyper masculine mm, that actually yeah. I think perpetuates this kind of this kind of pride with drinking and making it feel like if you can if you can neck you know a pint of beer then you're a better athlete or like more of a man which is not true at all. <laughs> yeah, you're think. so right, actually. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, especially with the association to the athletes themselves, because personally, mm. if I see a beer sponsoring a, a, a sports tournament, I probably... I know obviously from a marketing perspective that they want to endorse the feeling of enjoyment. And so when you're watching the game with friends, drink our beer and you're going to have a better experience. I understand that mm. as a marketing tool, but I hadn't really thought about them associating with the athletes themselves or with the culture of, 
I suppose you're right, leaning into this masculinity and kind of this stereotypical, should I say, masculinity, it's it's really complex, actually. And, and you're right, it's probably very mm. irresponsible for, obviously, there's always, you know, sponsorship and money makes, has a huge impact, but it's probably, yeah, hugely, I guess it's pretty contradictory, right? If you're watching these elite performance athletes yeah. and then it's, yeah, I got, they've got a beer logo on their chest. Totally. Like, I mean, um, I think... Cristiano Ronaldo is a controversial figure for lots of different reasons, but I remember watching him take the Coca-Cola off the counter during that press interview. And he said, oh, yeah. um, he said, agua, not, or water, not Coca-Cola. And again, I've got very mixed feelings about Cristiano Ronaldo, um, but I did admire the authenticity. And I think it would be amazing if more athletes could, um, I guess, yeah, kind of be... The kind of role models that we would want for kind of kids and um it's just a shame but things the alcohol industry is worth what like um i did look this up earlier um 1640 billion us dollars um, wow so i know it's it, it's it's again it's it's wild such a massive industry so they don't want people to quit drinking because they want your money but i would mm. again i'd love it if if um you know these big sporting competitions maybe if they could just have sponsors which are just more authentic and yeah represent the kind of lifestyles that people use um that people have when they're actually elite athletes yeah it's 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 fascinating and it's all of course inter interlinked and you mentioned the word there quit and i know that for some people there's a lot of books that have come out in the last few years a lot of them specifically speaking to women actually about mm -hmm. quitting alcohol and one that i've seen i haven't actually read the book a friend of mine read it yeah. holly whittaker's book it's called quit like a woman and on the cover it says the radical choice to not drink in a culture yeah. obsessed with drinking now i was chatting to my friend about it because as i said she was reading the book and i kind of said to oh how come you're reading that and again she wasn't someone who would have probably said that she it was an alcoholic or drinks loads but she just yeah. said for the reasons listed before she was like i feel like i'm more anxious when i'm drinking she said i feel like i as i'm getting older the hangovers are getting worse and she essentially was like i'm just interested to find out okay my options what it would what it would be like essentially to quit drinking and i think this word radical was quite mm. I, was, I don't know i was quite surprised because i thought is it radical to decide not to drink and then she was saying to me well yeah it, it is because culturally or you know she feels like you had to explain to people like give them an explanation yeah. as to why you're not drinking or, or and she said it, it is it does feel radical nowadays if you're in your mid-30s to just say i don't drink not because of any yeah. reason but just because i don't want to uh, totally so again i, I mentioned I do, I do dry january every year and um sometimes i even i actually in the past i've even done dry december january and you always have to explain to people why you're not drinking which kind of annoyed me because if somebody offered me a cigarette and i said oh i don't smoke they wouldn't say oh why don't you smoke are you mm -hmm. an ex are you an ex like smoker? Do you have a problem with smoking? Um, you would never be challenged. And yeah, um, I also like this idea of like um of of like the joy of, of missing out. Um so the joy of not drinking. Um and it when you it does seem like a radical thing to do, um, just because it's so normalized within our within our culture, but actually not drinking can be better. Um and I think that's something that people struggle to get their head around because it's almost like we've been brainwashed to think that you know again through marketing that the only way that you can have fun on a night out is 
by being absolutely smashed with your mates. And yeah. actually, I've had some amazing nights out where I've been stone cold sober and I remember the whole thing. And, <laughs> you know, I don't need alcohol to get me in the dance floor to dance and, you know, make an idiot of myself. I can do that all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is the thing, isn't it? People, when it comes to the, this radical choice, they maybe are thinking that actually, well, you're not going to be fun anymore. or You're not going to mm. yeah, let your hair down or enjoy your holiday as much or enjoy going to someone's wedding. All these things that we associate with drinking. It's not to say you still can't engage in those things and enjoy them. It just will be a different experience. And like you said, one that you'll remember. Do you know what, actually, that that's, again, it's it's actually bugged me in the past where I have given up alcohol um, for January and people, and somebody has said to me, oh, but David, you're so much more fun when you're drunk. You're so much more fun when you're drinking. And I've actually had people give me a, a, a vodka soda when I'd asked for just like a soda and lime because they wow. didn't, but I think actually that says a lot more about them. I think more of what that is, is that, People don't want to drink alone. And they, and when you are sober, when you're not drinking, they become more self-conscious about the fact that they're a bit drunk and tipsy and maybe behaving in a way that, you know, it's like, I don't know, they might feel embarrassed a bit later. So when people, when people say to me things like, but David, you're so much more fun when you're drinking. I, I like to gently challenge that. And I will just say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Why? Um, how does it make you feel when I'm not drinking? And I'll tease them a little bit about it. But... I think it says more about them than it does about you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And why they, and why they need you to drink. Yeah, and I think, yeah, of course we are social creatures and that idea, as you said, that they don't want to do something alone. Often people mm. do want you to participate to enable them and for them to feel like, oh, we're all having, the, we're all having this experience together. And I yeah. think sometimes people will have said that before. You know, I didn't used to drink actually at all. Like I think back to my 20s when most people probably did the most of their drinking and I honestly yeah. didn't drink at all. I probably used to drink once a year because it was I don't know Christmas or something and that was for lots of different reasons I think but now I'm you know 34 I I love wine I love to have a drink and it's funny because a lot of my friends are now going oh I'm giving up alcohol and it's it's funny we've done like a like a role reversal in, in some way yeah <laughs> um but I'd like to move it on I guess we've talked a lot about alcohol and, and the different effects mm-hmm. which is which is great but as I said none of these things are in isolation so mm-hmm. so when it comes to habits our daily routines we touched on the fact that we might replace one thing with another you know how and you also talked about the gut microbiome which i thought was super fascinating and also Mm. the the blood brain barrier so i think there's a lot of maybe misinformation about things that you you know what you eat and where it goes and for example i heard someone saying the other day that you know eating certain foods they're talking about serotonin and saying actually Mm. serotonin in the gut does one thing and that does not translate to the brain and i was like what because i just thought the body is one thing the blood pumps around everywhere everything's connected so yeah i guess if we could maybe moving away from alcohol and thinking more broadly about the overall picture of our of of our diet you know what we're eating when we're eating is it all linked or or is it actually much more complex than that oh totally i mean I, i actually did a talk the other day actually about um food and mood with this amazing nutritionist and it was so interesting and actually um, one of the things that she was talking about, which made me really think, was about how food is a really social thing and, you know, how we eat with other people and our relationship with, with food in fact, impacting on our mood, um, I guess because of the way in which we we consume food in a, in a social way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess like the the food that we eat does have a huge impact on our 
on our mental well-being as well and you and one of the things that i've seen recently is people in you know and it's, it's kind of a trend for people to cut out um whole food groups hmm. um so it's been like you talked I mean, you were talking earlier Adrian, about this all or nothing in binary thing yeah. and actually i've seen this not just with alcohol but with things like dairy products um or animal products or gluten um and a lot carbs. of carbs that's the thing people carbs a lot of carbs right doesn't it like i mean you're so well informed on like, like health and well-being it, it just it just drives me a bit nuts sometimes when i hear people making these radical <laughs> and to use that word again but radical decisions to cut something out completely and mm-hmm. Again, I sometimes wonder why why have they made that decision? What's that? What is that informed by? Maybe it's the right decision, um, but you know, a lot of people, I guess, and on the theme of alcohol, um, a lot of the reasons why people develop food intolerances is because alcohol gives you this thing called leaky gut syndrome. Um, so, and the same with sugar, actually, it, it causes gut inflammation, and when your gut's inflamed, it becomes more permeable, which means that larger molecules are able to cross across. So they're, they're able to move across that barrier between your gut and into your bloodstream. And then that can cause that can cause food intolerances. Um, so and how would I how would I know about that if I had it? So I've heard this term a lot, leaky yeah. gut syndrome, gut inflammation and other than an intolerance, I guess. Would you know if you have this or is this something that we've kind of become used to? So, for example, maybe if you're bloated or if you have skin breakouts, mm. people are just like, well, you know, that's life. So, yeah. How would I know if I had leaky gut syndrome? What are the typical symptoms and, and how would I start to address that? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head, head already there. It's kind of feeling bloated, feeling gassy, um, maybe starting to get like some stomach upsets after you're eating certain food types um so i mean the first thing i would do is probably my first port of call is is the gp um i think gps are absolutely incredible they've got this incredible breadth of knowledge and they just have to deal with everything and everything that come everything and anything that comes through their door so my first port of call would be yeah go to see your gp and they might refer you on to a specialist or also if you see a clinical nutritionist that that would also be a really a great place to start and they'll probably get you to do a food diary um, they might need to do some blood tests or even get some stool samples so a sample small sample of your poo but I mean it's such a big decision to cut out a whole food group um, and, and again it's, it's like people when they ask me like what supplements should I take and I have people all the time asking me about different vitamins that they should take because they want to optimize their mental health and well-being and I would never prescribe vitamins or supplements to people unless I knew the facts you know unless I knew how you know have we done a blood test do we actually know if they've got vitamin deficiencies um so we're not going to like overdose somebody on 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 the vitamins um and again I have this like hierarchy and things like supplements are great but there's absolutely no point you know spending loads and loads of money on expensive supplements and adaptogens and all these different things all these different kind of products if you're not eating well if you're not sleeping well if you're not moving your body because those those basic things are the things that will actually have the biggest impact in your your health and well-being absolutely i think that's kind of i guess the point i was trying to get at with all the different pieces that impact our well-being so as you mentioned then movement sleep 
being hydrated, emotional, you know, our relationships, our our workload, how stressed we might be, how, how much rest we have, all of those things. And then we want to pinpoint one thing like alcohol or like sugar or like carbs. And we want to just say, oh, if I change this, everything else yeah. is going to be better or everything else is going to is going to suddenly be easier. And actually, I think that was the point I was trying to get at is that sometimes, of course, let's say if I was if I was a nutritionist and I looked at the perfect plate and the macros and the proteins and the fats and all the different things that are going on there. But as human beings, you know, you know this, right? When it comes to application and what we actually want to do yeah. and what we enjoy, surely there's something to be said. Like say, for example, if someone said to me, you can have this perfect plate of food and probably very little sugar, very little alcohol, like for your entire life. And it's going to increase your life longevity by three years. Or you can have a mixture between this and your diet, which is, you know, a whole host of different things. And you can have moderation and you can drink sometimes, sometimes drink a bit too much. You can, you know, probably have too much sugar sometimes when you have a big dessert or when you're on holiday eating ice cream with your kids. But actually, you're going to live three years less as a result. I honestly yeah. think, you know, as much as I don't want to, you know, talk about mortality in like a throwaway way, I actually mm -hmm. think there's something to be said for enjoying and living your life and feeling yeah. like, you know what, at, at what cost, at what trade-off am I making to kind of, yeah, optimize and have like this perfect thing when actually, is it is it worth it? Or is it, do you know what I'm trying to get at? It's like, is, is optimizing yeah, and is, is perfection, is it worth it really? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... I mean, perfectionism is such a dangerous and stressful personality trait. Um, and I mean, I, it, it's kind of funny because it's almost, it would almost have the kind of inverse effect if you're just stressing all the time about how to live the most healthiest possible life. And there are people, you know, I've been to events where people take it so seriously and you kind of want to just say to them, just like, just relax, you're doing all right. Like, if you're worrying about it, you're, you're probably one of the people that don't need to worry about it. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned there about things like about choices that we make and in terms of, you know, choices in our diet and lifestyle and whatnot. And I think often what I see as well is, is people wanting the choices that are convenient to them. Mm -hmm. So again, um, I've had people asking me if I can prescribe them vitamin B12 because they want to protect their memory and they want to protect their brain health and their myelin sheaths, which is, you know, one of the things that, that vitamin B12 is really essential for. And I say to them, okay, well, how about just reducing your alcohol intake? And actually what they say to me is, well, that's not convenient to me. I, I want, I want to have my cake and eat it or, you know, I want my wine mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, and my memory. Um, so I, I think sometimes, we and again it's this, it's the same when people ask for medication like antidepressants and i think well absolutely i'm delighted to prescribe this for you but would you also please consider you know a bit of exercise getting yourself out in nature getting some sunlight getting some natural vitamin d and um, all these things that you deserve be compassionate to yourself treat yourself kindly you know you mm. you deserve to eat well and you deserve to um socialize and see friends and um but it's just that some some of the change is hard change is really difficult um and can be frightening and so yeah. I, I mean i remember actually we spoke when we were at that that gig together the mtv awards and we you know one of, i remember speaking to you about um how you motivate people to to move their body and you almost like reframe 
the idea of exercise. And I, I really love that, by the way. I really, really love that. And I, I quote, I've quoted you. <laughs> I, I, was like, I, met this, I met this incredible woman. She was like, and it inspired me to, to kind of reframe the way I think about exercise. And it's, it's not a chore. It's not punishment. I'm rewarding myself. This is a treat. And I don't have to run 10 kilometers. You know, I've, you know, whatever, whatever works for me, I love swimming. Um, so I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, thanks. That's, that's always lovely to hear. There's two, two things you said there. One about choice and change. So you're right. You know, I've talked about that a lot, actually, on this podcast about how change and uncertainty for some people can be really scary, really daunting and can keep you stuck. Whereas actually for some people like myself, I'm really kind of I love innovation I love future thinking mm. I love change I really embrace change as something that's super exciting and I often say to people that for me change means that you're acting you're participating in creating your own outcome your own life and so that point that you made about choice is often people think it's blame because you go well it's your choice you know it's your choice to do those things it's your choice to overeat or overdrink or whatever but actually mm. I think if people can flip that around that mindset again you know reframing and say I have the choice and that's really empowering and that's really exciting because I can choose the thing that's going to make me feel great or I can choose and every time I make a choice every time I it's almost like a you know James Clear author of Atomic Habits he talks about our habits and behaviors and choices being a vote and so every choice and every behavior is is a vote for the kind of person that you want to be it's a vote for the kind of future you want to have mm. and I like to say it's a vote for how you want to feel you know just start with a simple yeah. thing of how do I want to feel tomorrow when I wake up this is going to be the perfect segue into talking about power hour but how do I want to feel tomorrow morning that you know what choices can I make today that are going to yeah. make me feel good tomorrow that's a really simple choice or a simple way of thinking about choice that isn't you know, overwhelming and saying, right, everything's on you. It's all your fault if you if you haven't made the best choices and decisions, but trying yeah. to be excited by cho choice and be excited by change. I really love that, actually. And I've got to put that on my reading list, that that book. Um, what was it called? Atomic Habits by James Atomic Clear. Habits. Yeah, I did an episode yeah. with him years ago, way back. I think it's probably two and a half years ago on this podcast. And it was such a popular episode. He's a fantastic speaker, a fantastic author. And his book, Atomic Habits, I think it sold over six million copies globally in the last three years. Oh so yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This perfect segue on to you know how do you want to feel in the morning mm -hmm. to talking about the power hour and the concept of yeah. the first hour of, of every day so dr david first yeah. i'd love to know <laughs> whether you're whether you call yourself uh whether you have a power hour what time do you get up in the morning and what's the first hour of your day usually like <laughs> well i'm gonna be i'm gonna be totally honest i think that's always the best way the first yeah. hour of the day is often a struggle for me um yeah. And 
I've got some good habits and bad habits. <clears throat> so again, I'm going to be totally honest. One of the things I do first thing in the morning is I check my phone. And <gasps> I, I know... Which is, I'm joking. It's to, it's, Gasp. It's, <laughs> but, but I think, I mean, so, I mean, I do that because... Um, I, I want to use the blue light to, to hack my circadian rhythm and to help me wake up. So that's part of the reason that I do it. Um, and then I also have a coffee in bed and that's one of my little treats to myself um, is mm -hmm. to have a coffee in bed. Even better if somebody else brings it to me. <laughs> uh, and then what I do is I have, I have a shower and I practice mindfulness in the shower because one of the things that I try and do is I try to incorporate mindfulness into my daily routine. I actually did a campaign with a brand. I'm not going to say the brand is, but I'm not giving them any more free advertising. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I did a campaign with a brand where we, we tried to link their product with kind of um, mental well-being and, and mindfulness. But actually, I, I adopted that practice myself. So every every morning when I'm in the shower, I will do a mindful exercise, mindfulness exercise, so maybe like a breathing exercise, and I'll just bring my attention to my five senses. So I'll bring my awareness to five things I can see, four things I can hear, three things I can feel or touch, two things that I can smell or taste, and then one thing that I'm grateful for. So five senses, five things you can see, four you can hear, three you can touch and feel, two that you can smell and taste, and then one thing that you feel grateful for. And I do that every morning in the shower, and that's just part of my routine, my ritual. Um, and what that does is it, it helps ground me in the moment, it takes me away from my anxious thoughts, which you rightly said was are often based in the future, any of my negative depressive thoughts, which are often based in the past, and it just grounds me into the here and now. Wow, I love that. As you were saying it, I was I, I was listening to them and thinking about it. And what I really like about I always love things that are practical and actionable. We can actually try them. So I am gonna try that myself this week. I'm gonna oh, try and cool. incorporate yeah, I'm gonna try and incorporate your five senses exercise into my morning routine. I used to back in the day when I started this podcast, I used to trial other people's morning routines. So I've mm. definitely tried and tested lots and lots of different things. But that really sounds like something I would enjoy because as well in the morning, you know, I get up early and a lot of people will say to me, okay, well, what do you do in your power hour? You know, always asking everyone else, what do you do and why do you do it? <laughs> and, and interestingly, if you have to make decisions in the morning, you know, am I going to train today? Am I not going to train today? Am I going yeah. to, yeah, have a coffee or am I not going to have a coffee? Those decisions at 5.30 are a little bit more difficult to make. So what oh I like gosh. about that step thing is that you just have this framework, you just can follow it. And I think I'm sure yeah. that over time it just becomes habitual to go through that list so I'm really gonna I'd love that I'm gonna give it a try this week thank you so much I really really enjoyed reconnecting having this conversation I know that it's going to be really useful and really helpful and I hope that it just gets people <laughs> thinking and talking yeah. maybe about you know alcohol their their relationship with it and understanding just a little bit more about yeah what's going on in the brain in the body and saying actually it's okay to to have moderation but even moderation itself we need to think about in moderation sometimes totally um Adrian thank you so much for having me on your show I've actually, I've actually had so much fun um <laughs> I really really I really enjoyed it um it's been such a pleasure thank you very much for having me you're so welcome and thanks everyone <laughs> as always for tuning in to the show I really appreciate it if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to share it with others of course please do that is how we grow the power our community it's how I book all of these amazing incredible guests have an awesome week stay safe and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode see ya 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.